I'd like to begin uh, this talk today by talking about um, Dharma, a Dharma talk, listening to a Dharma talk as a practice. So, um, so some of you know this and are familiar with, with this. Uh, some of you have been on many retreats, but, um, uh, but some of you are n new to retreat, so it's, uh, it's worth saying. When we listen to uh, a Dharma talk, it's a little different than listening to a lecture. Um, we're used to uh, that kind of presentation, somebody sitting in front of the room, uh, and we're kind of listening and fitting it together with um, other things that we've learned and um, <clears throat> maybe listening critically or, uh, you know, like thinking of our questions uh, or thinking about, you know, what we might agree with or disagree with. So, and that's, that's fine when you're building up a body of knowledge and, um, and you are, uh, you're trying to, you know, fit different pieces together and, um, and that body of knowledge is evolving. Uh, and in some ways, um, <clears throat> the Dharma can be approached that way uh, as a, uh, uh, through, in a scholarly way, um, and building up your, your Dharma understanding. And it's, you know, there are many Dharm wonderful Dharma scholars and, um, and it's very, very useful and valuable. But when we're on retreat, it's a different, um, it's a different kind of experience. Um, we're, it's more like, um, it's a more holistic kind of listening that we're doing. Uh, we're more, um, it's, it's more through, you, you could say it's, it's more through the heart than through the head. Uh, in a way, you know, we're, we're, we're listening uh, what resonates uh, for us, what's useful for us right now, what, um, what word or phrase connects with our experience, shines a light on something that we may be, you know, working with, um, gives us a tool to continue on in our exploration. Um, and, you know, if something doesn't fit, if something doesn't quite, you know, connect with what you understand, you can let it go. You know, it's okay. Uh, you know, you might come across it later. You know, it might, um, and, and, and get it, you know, maybe the way I said it was not that clear, and, and so, it, or it's not, doesn't fit with the way you, You've heard things before, so so it's not. Don't get stuck on things, um, and uh, um, yeah, and and just just uh, you know listen in a way which is kind of holistic. Um, could, we could say listening with the whole body. That's another way of describing uh, how we listen um, to the Dharma. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, 
how we're practicing and, and, and meditation practice and some thoughts in, in general. I'm going to talk uh, a bit about the Anapanasati Sutta specifically um, and, uh, and the parts that we're going to be exploring. Uh, so, <clears throat> so Anapanasati, uh, that word itself, is actually uh, quite interesting. And, um, and the word ana has the same root as prana. Maybe some of you, especially those of you who practice yoga, might be familiar with the word prana. Um, and it has, it has a kind of meaning like life energy. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that's hard to put words on, but, um, but it has this... Uh, this, sen this sense of, of life energy, uh, ana being the breathing in, and apana is the releasing, the, like the exhaling, the letting go of what we can't use. And the word sati is the word which is translated mindfulness in, in English. And... Um, and mindfulness, you know, itself has, uh, it, some people have questioned what it, you know, how good a word it is. First of all, it has no French equivalent, so people have, uh, in French, and probably other languages, have, have uh, you know, improvised new um, words or phrases to try to touch on what sati means. Um, many scholars have said that the sense of sati is more like remembering than being mindful. And so, you know, we've, we've gotten the idea that mindfulness is all about the mind. You know, it's about, uh, and, and, and there's been a lot of focus on the brain in particular. You know, so, and some people feel that that's gotten a little out of balance. And really, mindfulness is, um, Gil Fronsdale says, you know, it could have actually been trans translated bodyfulness because it's so much about awareness in the body and presence in the body and remembering to be in the body so um, so so we're remembering this flow of life in and out anapanasati is the remembering of this of how life flows in and out another translation uh, something I just came up with <laughs> but I, I kind of like it uh, and uh, and it you know it um, it, re it also reminded me um, that the word for breath uh, in English uh, well the, the word for breath um, in in the Abrahamic tradition, so so in Hebrew, in um, and I don't know the Jewish scriptures, and 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 it follows through in the Christian, and I'm not sure about the Islamic, but um, this sense of that God breathed, God <coughs> breathed life, you know, and so I mean you don't have to be theistic to to get a sense that. Um, 
you know, we don't have to take a, a literal sense of that, you know, the creation story that God breathed life, but but that there is something about this this breathing which is connected to spirit, to inspire, to inspiration, um, uh, that that is um, quite profound. So so there are these these connections that uh, that these these things that e these words that evoke deeper meanings and um, connections. It's it's quite interesting. My the word mindfulness has been used a lot to talk about you know different aspects of meditative development. Um, I think that the word mindfulness has you know, gotten big, um, and I think that in in Pali and other languages which, in which meditative experience is described because there's, you know, there's a, um, in the culture there's a, a deep cultivation and history of meditative um, practice, uh, that there are many, many words to describe different kinds of, of um, Developments of the mind that we that we kind of use mindfulness as an umbrella term for. Um, but some of the things that we're talking about when we use the word mindfulness is the capacity to be aware in the moment uh, of each experience of our senses and including the mind. So, in in this system, uh, the mind is considered the sixth sense thinking mind. Um, so this capacity to be aware is, is often compared to a mirror. Um, so that a mirror simply reflects what is there. It doesn't, it doesn't add anything. Um, it's not thinking about. It's not trying to change. It's not trying to hold on to it. So this, this mirror mind is... Um, is not trying to resist or push it away. Um, and uh, mindfulness is unbiased, the same way a mirror is. We, <clears throat> it's not for or against anything. So whatever is coming up in mindful awareness, whether it's um, joy or anger or fear, or uh, grasping, or pain, or grief, uh, or equanimity. <clears throat> it simply is, it is, um, it doesn't add or subtract, it doesn't judge, it just is present with. And, um, and yet, at the same time, mindfulness is not detached, it's not distant. So. When I'm mindful of grieving, um, it's intimate. I'm intimate with the experience of grieving. When I'm mindful of, of joy or love, there's an intimacy, a closeness with that experience. It's fresh, immediate. It's not filtered through thoughts and judgments and ideas. I, an example that I think is helpful uh, um, in 
uh, in expressing or, or in touching on a mi mindfulness and how we experience through mindfulness is, is um, the experience of hearing a sound that you don't know what it is. Do you ever hear a sound and it's like, you know, what is that? And the mind is asking, what is that? But there's, a li there's this listening, quite intent listening, and you're hearing a, maybe a, a resonance or a, you know, a rhythm or a vibration, <coughs> hearing the range of the sound. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, a perception clicks in, you know, oh, it's the faucet dripping, or oh, it's you know, the recycling truck, or oh, it's, you know, uh, a jackhammer in the distance or something, you know. And then what happens when, as soon as we label it, we stop listening, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because we've put it in a box, we've labeled it. But it was really interesting before we knew what it was, right? So, um, so mindfulness is, is kind of like that. So even when we can, even when we know what something is, you know, we might, we might label something. We might, um, you know, we might say, oh, uh, this is chickpeas, you know. But, well, we don't really know what those chickpeas taste like until we eat them. So, um, so it, it uh, mindfulness stays intimate even when the perception names our experience. So mindfulness is, is knowing that you know. We talked about this before. Uh, there's a sharpness, there's a clarity of mind. Um, any Buddhist meditation has a, this quality of knowing. So you know, if we're just kind of getting into a state of you know, calm, absorption um, and uh, the mind is very tranquil um, if there's not that quality of knowing uh, a presence with the experience then it's um, it's I think anyway is uh, it's not Buddhist meditation or it's not the you know the essence of what we're what we're trying to practice there are probably many different Practices in Buddhism that I don't know about, um, and but the this uh, this quality of knowing, you know, like what I talked about, the sharpness, the clarity. Clarity is is a very important aspect of our meditation practice. <clears throat> another another reflection on. Um, on meditation practice uh, that I recently heard from Gil Fronsdale, which I found very, I found very helpful. Uh, he said meditation practice stands on two legs. So it's noticing something that's happening in the present moment. And it's also noticing how we are relating to what is happening. And that's what brings clarity. So, so we can notice, um, I'm standing online, you know, I'm waiting for, you know, my lunch, waiting to get my lunch. 
And so I can be aware that I'm standing, I can feel my body, and also what is my relationship to that experience of standing and, and slowly moving forward. So is there impatience? Is there um, agitation, agitation in the mind? Um, is there preoccupation? And then what's our relation to the agitation, if there's agitation? So, so, so then we notice the agitation. Is there acceptance? Is there judgment? So, uh, so this is this is all how we practice mindfulness. Just noticing what's happening, noticing how we're relating. <clears throat> Just as a an aside, um, one of the things when I first started going to retreats uh, quite a few years ago that I noticed was you know, exactly that, that, that experience of standing online and waiting to get your food or coming, going from the, from the uh, meditation hall to the, um, to the dining hall. And you know, in my own personal history, there was just a lot of uh, craziness in my family around dinner time, food, you know, eating, eating too much, eating fast. Um, and, and I began to notice as I was in this meditative space and in this supportive environment, this extreme agitation in my body as I was walking to the dining hall and, and waiting online and, and eating, you know, like I, I would sit down and I, my, my plate of food would be in front of me and, um, and then my mind would just go, would just go into this, you know, all of these different thoughts and judgments and stories and, and I wouldn't even know I was eating, you know, I just lost and, and just the whole, and then, oh, my food's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember I told that story once uh, a couple of years ago, and and Janet said to me, "Oh, I'm so glad you talked about that. So that was exactly my experience when I started going to retreats. So, uh, if it resonates for any of you, um, this uh, it's you know just it's okay. It's uh, normal. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's nothing to feel." Um, worried about the just bringing that that space of knowing that that presence that acceptance the the acceptance is is quite um, implied, isn't it? You know, if we can be with something, then we can accept it. And um, and so just. Uh, again and again, opening to what is, and, and, and then the agitation begins to, whatever it is, whether it's around food or whether it's around, you know, being 
in a relationship or um, whatever it is that pushes our buttons. So noticing what's happening and notice how we're relating to it. So noticing how we're relating to it is, is asking, what am I bringing to this experience? What am I bringing in this moment to this experience? Um, and, uh, and so we're bringing our conditioning, our conditioned minds. We're bringing um, our, uh, our attitudes. <coughs> um, who we happen to be in this moment, you know, what's conditioned us, uh, are we calm, are we agitated, are we, are we feeling threatened? And we're bringing our perceptions, um, which are conditioned and are largely unconscious. So our perceptions are how we, how we create reality, you know, how we, what, how we perceive other people, how we perceive the world around us. I'm going to talk a little bit more about perception and, and, um, and it's how important it is in, um, uh, in being, becoming more open uh, because our perceptions um, are the names that we give to things and the judgments that we have around things and the beliefs that we hold around things. Um, so, <clears throat> so the more that we, we recognize our perceptions, the more we recognize that a perception that we may hold is not the truth about what it is, it's simply a perception, um, then the more we can be open to other perspectives and be more open to other possibilities of truth. Um, beyond our own. <coughs> so, um, so part of this noticing what we're bringing to our experience um, and especially when we are um, clinging or grasping or trying to control um, our experience, which is always changing. Uh, that, and we're going to talk more about that when we talk about, you know, later in the discourse about seeing impermanence. But our relationship um, and of our relationship with what we're experiencing in each moment is um, what's pointed at in the Four Noble Truths, um, that, uh, you know, the, the, the framing of um, the First Noble Truth, the, these are the Four Noble Truths, um, if, if, if you haven't uh, heard this framework for teaching is that um, there is suffering in life and that 
There's a cause of suffering, which is trying to grasp and control our experience, that we can become free of suffering and that there is a path to be free of suffering. And, um, and so um, one of the ways of framing or expressing the first noble truth is that we're, we're um, not at ease. There's unease in our experience. So, so our relationship with our experience, which is inherently unstable, always changing, is one of dis-ease. Uh, and uh, because we're in opposition to it. So, um, so notice. Notice if we feel uneasy. Uh, and, um, and our breath can help us notice if we feel uneasy. So if we feel uneasy, <coughs> we're probably holding our breath or tightening our breath. So, so the breath can help us notice. It can be a kind of a, a little red light on our dashboard. We might notice that we're holding our breath. Or we might notice that we're feeling anxious and uneasy or whatever of the, you know, these emotional states that kind of fall into that broad category um, of, uh, of dis-ease. And, and then we can come to our breath as a way of kind of shifting how we are and becoming a bit more comfortable and relaxed. So, so, so the, it works both ways. So this, in, and in this, um, in this discourse, we actually do get actively involved with using the breath as a tool to begin to release and relax some of the difficult states. <coughs> Are people getting cold? Um, and uh, and that, that's, that goes a little bit contrary to what um, some Vipassana teachers teach, you know that, and and it's 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 a it's a very mainstream approach to Vipassana is like like you don't when your experience comes up when you feel you know anxiety just be with it just know it just allow it to be don't um, don't try to uh, shift it or change it in any way and just see the nature of it, see the impermanent nature of it, see, see the, um, uh, the suffering nature of it, and see the selfless nature of it. Um, see that it's, it's not who you are. When I say selfless, I mean what I'm pointing to is that, that we are seeing that our dis-ease comes from causes and conditions. It's not who we are. So when I feel inadequate, or when I feel um, self-judgment, or or uh, or anger, and I'm aware, I become aware of it. Uh, seeing seeing an insight into it 
shows me that it is, it's not who I am. It's not essentially who I am. It's something that is coming up because um, of inner and outer conditions. Uh, something triggered an old pattern that I have, you know, um, maybe, uh, you know, my father used to yell at me and then somebody raises their voice a little bit and I, you know, I freak out because I overreact. So these triggers, we have them. Uh, and, and so uh, the Buddhist shorthand for that is causes and conditions, <laughs> like experiences, conditionings in our life, you know, and so, so, and that points to the selfless nature of these, of these um, reactions, uh, is this, the suffering that we, that we experience. So, so the Vipassana approach is, is largely, and this, this is in the Vipassana stream, but, um, but there's been an emphasis, I think, on just know it, just know it, and in and in the and in this Anapanasati discourse, it says, "Well, yes, know it, and and open to it with mindfulness, and you can also like use the breath as a kind of a an ally, a friend, a um, a skillful means." To soften, you can soften into it. You can, you can, you know, use the breath to help you maybe let go a little bit, to uh, to relax a little bit, because we hold with our bodies, and the breath can help us let go of that. So, so this process as we move into awareness and sensitivity um, within the whole body, feeling the breath in the whole body, and we become aware, mindful of the body, in the body, and we give space for experiences in the body to simply be. And a way of seeing this meditation is having a profound respect for life. Giving our full attention to whatever we're experiencing. <clears throat> whatever we're experiencing in the, in the body, in the feelings, or in the mind. Uh, ancient Chinese Zen masters, uh, Chan masters, used to say that when we're tuned out of our experiences, so when we're kind of drifting into our thoughts, into our dream states, into our inner you know, monologues or imagined dialogues, um, caught up in fantasies and so on, that we're killing life. So when we're disconnected from our experiences, that we're killing life. Uh, it's, it's kind of dramatic. Um, and, and what it means, well, I think what they're saying is, is that we're not fully alive. You know, we're rehashing our old experiences. We're just rehashing and rehashing. 
we're not living fully in the present. And, uh, and when we are mindful, um, and when we're living fully in each moment, the, the expression is that we're giving life to life. I love that. We're giving life to life. So our, our life is flowing into life. So let me, um, let me talk a little bit about the sutta itself. Um, so the Anapanasati, just setting the scene, it, um, it begins with uh, the Buddha staying uh, at a large park um, Savat, called Savati. Uh, and there were many, many of um, senior disciples, and uh, and then and then the elder monks were teaching younger monks. And the word monks is used for both male and female. Um, and uh, there, um, sometimes the word bhikkhu is used, and and it's. Um, and it's both, you know, in, I don't know about this particular, but in the teachings, the word bhikkhu is, is used to refer not just to ordained, but to all people who are dedicated to, um, to practicing these teachings. And so, um, and so, so the Buddha looked out and he saw all this wonderful practice going on and, and he was really delighted. He said, um, he said, uh, said, monks, I'm pleased with this practice. I'm pleased at heart. Um, and, uh, and then he said, um, in, in fact, I think it's so wonderful that I'm going to stay an extra month. So they were going to stay through the three months of the rains retreat. But he said, I'm going to stay it another month. And then, um, and then uh, the word got out to folks around and more people came, and they were practicing, and um, uh, and and then he and then at at the end of those four months, um, uh, the Buddha said, you know, look at all this um, this wonderful practice that's happening. Um, he said, this this assembly is without frivolous talk. Um, this assembly is established on pure heartwood, and it's it's an assembly worthy worthy of offerings, worthy of hospitality, worthy of gifts. It's an unsurpassable field of merit for the world. Such is this community of monks. Such is this assembly. So, it was pretty nice. Uh, and then he began to talk about all the different practices that were being done there, and. Um, and at the end of listing a, a number of different practices, he talked about mindfulness of breathing. And he said, um, mindfulness of breathing in and out is of great fruit and great benefit when cultivated and made much of. Um, and when cultivated and made much of, the four applications, this is Gil Fronsdale's translation, 
for foundations is um, it's actually scholars have said oh that's actually foundations it sounds too much like a thing you know um, so they've used uh, I've heard the, the Joseph Goldstein used the word arenas of mindfulness arenas for applying Gil Fronsdale use uses the uh, translation applications of mindfulness um, the four applications of mindfulness um, the breathing in and breathing out brings the four applications of mindfulness to fulfillment. When cultivated and made much of the four applications of mindfulness bring the seven factors of awakening to fulfillment. And when cultivated and made much of the seven factors of awakening bring knowledge and freedom to fulfillment. And, um, and so now I'm going to read the 16 tetrads. So how, monks, is mindfulness of breathing in and out of great fruit and great benefit when cultivated and made much of. Here, having gone to, to the wilderness, a foot of a tree or an empty building, a monk sits down with legs crossed and body erect, establishing mindfulness to the forefront, always attentive. One breathes in with mindfulness and breathes out with mindfulness. So then comes the two that we worked on this morning. Breathing in long, one knows I am breathing in long. Breathing in short, one knows I am breathing in short. Breathing out long, one knows I am breathing out long. Breathing out short, one knows I am breathing out short. So those are the only two of the 16 tetrads or stanzas that are actually focusing fully on the breath itself. It changes, the form of, the, of each of these tetrads changes now. And it begins, one trains oneself. So one trains oneself. This is number three. Breathing in, I experience the whole body. Breathing out, I experience the whole body. So we were doing a little bit of that this morning. Breathing in, I experience the whole body. One trains oneself. Breathing in, I calm the bodily formation. Breathing out, I calm the bodily formation. So, so we're going to do a little bit more of that later today. So working on breathing in and bringing calmness. Noticing where is the body tense, where is the body stressed. One trains oneself. I will breathe in, experiencing joy. One trains oneself. I will breathe out, experiencing joy. So what, what happens is that joy arises. As the body becomes calm, we connect with joy. And, and, and so in the, in the teaching on Apanasati, uh, the, the, the instruction is to notice it, to notice it and cultivate it. <clears throat> One trains oneself, I will breathe in, experiencing pleasure. One trains oneself, I will breathe, breathe out, experiencing pleasure. So pleasure is a little more subtle than joy, um, getting into the subtleties of meditative delights here. 
Uh, uh, next, number eight. One trains oneself. I will breathe in, calming the mental formation. I will breathe out, calming the mental formation. So we calm the body. Now, with the breath, connecting, staying connected to the breath, calming the mind. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, experiencing the mind. I will breathe out, experiencing the mind. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, pleasing the mind. One trains oneself, I will breathe out, pleasing the mind. Again, these are just all subtle developments of uh, bringing more calm and, and presence, awareness, uh, in the mind, uh, we're we are going to um, move to some of the later ones, as I described this morning. But I'm just reading these. Um, <clears throat> I will breathe in, concentrating the mind. I will breathe out, concentrating the mind. One trains oneself. I will breathe in, releasing the mind. I will breathe out, releasing the mind. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, observing impermanence. I will breathe out, observing impermanence. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, observing dispassion. One trains oneself, I will breathe out, observing dispassion. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, observing cessation. One trains oneself, I will breathe out, observing cessation. One trains oneself, I will breathe in, observing relinquishment. I will breathe out, observing relinquishment. So we're going to talk more about impermanence, dispassion, cessation, and relinquishment um, later uh, tomorrow and Saturday. Uh, that's, what's on, that's what's on the agenda. Um, Monks, this is how cultivating and making much of mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out is of great fruit and great benefit. So, um, so there's a lot that could be talked about and maybe your mind is questioning. Hmm, what's, what's this dispassion thing? Is that, is that really what I want? Uh, so. Um, but we're going to talk more about that. Uh, just kind of let your, if questions have arisen in your mind, um, just put them on the shelf for now, uh, if you can. So, um, just uh, a few more points. Um, So, uh, so I pointed out that it's only the first two tetrads in which we are um, really that the mind, that the the breath itself is the object of our meditation, and and as we move into the third and beyond, we're actually using the breath as a kind of um, 
of tether to, to keep us present in the moment, to, to bring us back to the moment and, and, and maintain that stability of attention, maintain that concentration and focus so that we can really investigate and explore these different unfoldings of our experience. Um, and, um, and I think of it, one of the ways I, I think of this uh, kind of this breath as, as just this kind of um, home base that keeps calling us back, it reminds me of a, a, a Rumi poem. Um, and uh, Rumi talks about the drumbeat of a falconer uh, calling the falcon back. And, um, and, and, and so I think you know, that, that we let our breath keep calling us back, keep calling us home. Here's the poem, it's very short. <coughs> Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as fish out of water hear the waves or a hunting falcon hear the drums come back. This turning toward what you deeply love saves you. I'll have to read it again. Sometimes you hear a voice through the door calling you as fish out of water hear the waves or a hunting falcon hears the drums come back. This turning toward what you deeply love saves you. Just end there. Um, maybe we can sit for a few minutes before we move on to our next. <coughs>